0: Learn how to report and deliver findings briefly and vibrantly. Nobody wants to read a 100-page deck.
1: Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning into notes of design to help support our mission spread knowledge. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Varun, who is a co-founder and head of research at Apple and banana, where he believes that everyone can do fruitful research. Varun has spent his career immersed in psychology, technology and design at organizations like Facebook, United Health Group and Best Buy, along with raising startups across the country. In this episode, Varun had shared great insights on breaking into UX research where we had discussed on how young creatives can break into the field of user research where Varun explained us the three major methods on which 90% of UX research is based on. We then discussed on the process of UX research and how to prepare the right instrument and choosing the right sample size to conduct the research. We then spoke on how to combine research insights and present it to the team and stakeholders involved and how to be a good collaborator as a researcher to bridge the gap between the users, designers, and the stakeholders. In the end, we concluded the show by how beginners can start into usability testing as UX researchers. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone hi varun welcome to notes of design it's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. great to be here so varun how was your day it was a good day. I'm in the process of
0: moving. Me and my girlfriend are moving. So it's been a hectic day of boxes, cleaning. We
1: always have more stuff than we think so. That's wonderful one. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm the head of research and co-founder
0: at Apple Banana, which is a UX publication, where our goal is to really to get everyone to understand that anyone can do great research. It does take time. It does take practice. But we believe with some education, Instruction, humor, storytelling—anyone can do fruitful research—is what we talk about. So I had the research there. I'm also the co-
1: the lead author on our upcoming research handbook. That's wonderful, one. So what was your journey, and how did you start? And for me, when I was studying in school, I studied psychology
0: and statistics. I don't know why those two things they were the most interesting to me at the time. And then I graduated, and I went straight into healthcare field because everyone said if you want to help people go into medicine, go into health. So I started doing that at some big companies and everybody was just a spreadsheet, right? A zero, a one, did you pay on time? How much? That kind of stuff. At least in the US is healthcare system. And I hated it. So one day I typed in my three things I was really interested in. This was completely by chance. It's complete luck. I typed in psychology, technology and design into Google, clicked enter. And the like seventh article was something called user experience design. I don't know what it was, I was bored, I clicked it. And this article popped up on Medium, I read that, I read a bunch, and that's when I found out about this and that's when I really started to transition away from healthcare into this thing called user experience uh, design and research. And I found this thing called user experience design and research. From there, what I was really interested in is trying to get into the field. Luckily for me, I went to a psychology and research-based institution where they focus a lot on get out of the classroom, get out in the real world, and do things. So I had a lot of application in my background. So then I started reading about user experience research and design methods. And I went out and I started just using them. Small projects, try them at work, try them with friends. That really helped. A few weeks, I was able to build a little portfolio. Then I started networking. Then I started getting some interviews because I had psychology. I'd worked as uh, an undergrad as a clinical research coordinator at the local psychiatric hospital. I did part of, was part of a student incubator. So I had a bunch of expertise and just getting out and doing stuff. Then i transitioned to industry. And that's where Apple and Banana kind of really started, right? Is I want to get good at it. I don't just want to be here and say, I do this. I'm like, how do I get good? How do I actually design, uh, make sure I'm deriving impact? How do I sell research, uh, stakeholders on design-based research? How do I get them excited about this process to pay for it, to invest time? I couldn't really find anything out there. Because on one side, there was a lot of bootcamp content. Right. And I like, and I think it's interesting because it works for some people, but it can be flashy. $20,000 change your life, triple your income, right? In 16 weeks. It sounds amazing. And then I talked to people in that interviewed, that I've helped hire. And a lot of those people, what happens is they're overconfident because they sell, they crush everything into 16 weeks. And then they said, go ahead, go change the world. And that's really tough. On the other side, with design and like academic research content, it is it can be scary because there's a lot of terms, there's a lot of words that you don't even know. You feel dumb just trying to like educate yourself because you don't know half the terms or the people in the field or the context. And I was like, wow, I want to sit somewhere in the middle. Bootcat makes me practical. It makes me fast. It makes me say, I got to get out and do something this week. And you need that. You need that drive. The academic side, the uh, theory side, gives you structure because you want to be smart with how you're doing it. You don't want to just try every idea. You want to do it in a sound, repeatable way. And I was like, I can't find anything in the middle. That's where Apple Banana kind of started, right? It was like a dark spot. I'm like, am I doing something here? I was doing studies. I was impacting design. I was shipping product. And I was like, am I actually doing something with that time? And I never really thought about that. It came out of that zone. And we've found a lot of people who are like, I've been looking for something in that sweet spot. So that's where, I would say it's the origin story of Apple today.
1: That's wonderful, Warren. So let's begin our episode today into breaking into UX research. So what are your advice to the young beginners out there who are looking to get into the field of UX research?
0: First thing I would say is, it's very common, but I would say ignore methods. I don't think methods is where your focus should be. Uh, it would be equivalent to a designer saying, okay, what are the best colors? right? It doesn't make sense as a question. Because the first question they'd ask you is for what? Why do you need colors in the first place? So maybe look back at that is ignore methods. I would say, and I tell my stakeholders and uh, startups that I work with, three methods. If you can focus on doing three methods, these three methods really effectively, roughly like 90% of the research situations you find yourself in, you can use one of these three and drive impact, be valuable. Number one, are semi structured interviews. We've got some topics, some questions, but you say, hey, when we start it, I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna see where this goes, is we might learn something that we hadn't expected. Then you have structured service. And we're talking structured, you know, what you're doing, who you're gonna talk to, how you're gonna analyze it. And the last one is usability testing. And usability testing kind of scales. You can have concept testing where it's like, is this idea even make sense? Is this even a thing that we should consider? Then that scales to much more like benchmark, where it's really structured, it's quantitative. So with those three methods are good. Number two, get really good at communicating what you're doing to other people. I think in research especially, there's so much jargon, statistical significance, multivariate analysis, qualitative data and thematic saturation. And you're like, that sounds smart, what did I say? right, to somebody else, because I know what I'm saying, but my job isn't to take the value of research and carry it on, I don't write code, I don't ship product, I don't design products, right? I don't do any of that, but somebody else does. I have to communicate with them. So whatever you're doing, you can use the terms, you can know they're more rigor, but explain it to someone. Why did you choose a qualitative approach instead of a quantitative one? Like you are talking to not a kid, don't, that's dumb. Stakeholders are smart, treat them like people, but like to another person who doesn't know this, what would you say, right? That's number two. Number three, Learn how to report and deliver findings briefly and vibrantly. Nobody wants to read a 100-page deck. You don't want to make a 100-page deck. You don't want to make them listen to like 45 minutes of raw interview data, right? So be brief, right? Number. Then with that is vibrantly. It's not just a deck, right? Look differently. Audio, video, motion, in person. Come up with little stories if you have to. Bucketize it whatever matches the question that you're studying. If you're studying something serious, make sure that briefly and vibrantly is still serious, but you can alternate. Work with your team. One strategy that I like to use and we write about in the book is report how your team communicates. If every single day your team is using Slack, that's where the ideas and creativity is happening, report there. A header, we did this, the question was this, we have this many people, top three findings, here's a link if you want to read something else. It's already where your team communicates. It's in front of them. They can share it. They can comment it. They can add people. It evolves from just being, it's in your inbox. Don't focus on methods. Focus on a few solid ones. Get really good at them. Number two, think about how you communicate and make it as easy and as logical for somebody else to understand what you're doing. Then number three, be succinct when you report and think about vibrancy. Make it match the rigor, the structure, and the
1: importance and the weight of what you actually went out to study. Thank you, Warren. So a lot of young beginners struggle in terms of conducting research in their early days, choosing the right audience, choosing the right process to follow it. What are your take on that? Number
0: one, get away from the word, right? There are better and worse ways to do research in any single text. Number one, get away from the word, right? There is no right way to do this. Even in some of the most amazing designs, someone else is going to say no. Right? They're going to be like, that's not the best way to do it because they have opinion, they have intuition, they see something else that you don't. What I'm saying is get away from right ways of research to better or worse. In some situations, you can do better research. But if you don't have a budget of a million dollars, then your stakeholders, it's really hard for them to hear that you can't get 10,000 survey respondents, right? So there's better situations. So the thing is, work with your team on what they need right now. Instead of what great research is or the next methods, they are ultimately the people benefiting from the research. So what do they think is helpful? If they need a large sample size, talk to them. A lot of people say wrong research is when you have a small sample. Four people, you talk to four people, what can you learn from four people? A whole lot. Four people that have no idea what our product strategy is. They have no idea that we've been bickering over this button for the last three months. Somebody didn't show up to a meeting and two people were on vacation. They don't care about any of that. They will give you a very different look into what you're actually looking at. So those four people, pseudo team members in a sense, right? So you can still learn stuff. The second thing for doing right is Talk about and write down what you're doing. I see a lot of decisions floating in the air. We'll do that in research. Or, okay, we'll make sure to talk to those people in research. And then no one writes it down. So it's really hard to know. Was this actually what we set out to study? I've seen a lot of studies start in one direction and it rolls into something else. And people are like, we can't. That wasn't impactful. There was no plan. You have an entire thing called a product roadmap or a design system. You have structured things. Why don't you structure your research in a great way is write it down, talk to people, we're gonna do this by this time. And the first decision that ever should come around that I don't see a lot of stakeholders even think about is what are you gonna do right after the study is over? Right? A lot of people are like, ah, oh, we're gonna do we're gonna do research. Okay, let's assume we did it. Now what? Let's time travel to the future. Okay, we're gonna use research and determine if A or B is the best way to go. Or we're gonna redesign how we distribute and communicate. Great. That immediately tells me, the researcher, whoever's doing research. Your recommendations, at least in some part, have to help them between A or B. Because it changes now, right? You're like, okay, when I go out there with a comparison,
1: I need to compare A and B. What is A and B? Who needs to look at both, right? You're much more structured, so write it down. Wonderful answer out there, babe. So let's talk about how to combine these insights that we gather from all these people that we conduct research with and present it to our largest stakeholders
0: presenting, I feel like this is a big part that I think people have a very different idea of what you're trying to get out. It's not just about reporting. I did something, so here's what it is. Ultimately, think about like a domino. You're pushing it down to do something else, right? It's not just a domino in isolation, but you set out, let's say this last example between A or B, your recommendation, the way you report should help people distinguish why A over B is better, or at least look at A and B objectively. So then you can work with your team to say, Well, A, performs better on these things, and that's why we're going to choose them as a team. I think what happens with recommendations, if you are the researcher and they say, you're so smart, get out there and tell us what to do, that's a bad situation. It it completely shifts all the weight to you. And once again, if you don't write code, if you don't do customer support, if you don't do marketing, it's really hard to know from my outside lens, this is an effective strategy, or this is even remotely possible with our budget or timelines or partners, whatever. I don't think you want to be in that situation. You want to be able to come back and relatively answer those research questions you set out to, but ultimately work with your team to say, this is our next steps. But because you said we want to pick A or B, you can drive that conversation with the research that you've done. And the stakeholder A is like, ah, flow A, I feel it. I had a dream about it in the shower, and I think it's amazing, and we should go for it. Now, with your research, you can look at it more critically. Well, it takes this long. And engineering now say it takes an extra six months to build it. Instead of the three months that we had hoped, you can now look at it objectively and drive the conversation. So when you're reporting, it's about what does that go? Ultimately, all good research is about intention. What do we intend to do? Uh, I don't think there's a single person outside of like big tech that can say, we're going to write a study and we're going to guarantee deep insights, things we hadn't seen. Big tech can kind of do it because it can consistently get five, five, five people every time, every hour, because there's a lot of people that use big tech products, right? for everybody else, it's a prediction. You're not sure, but you know what you set out to do. And that was that thing, we need to do this thing right after. Always come back to that, always come back to the question. So when you report, everything's framed in context. I see decks where there's a lot of slides, and more slides does not translate to better research, right? It, it, it sounds stupid when you say, and you look at it, you're like, yes, I don't have time to make 100 slides. And I have to like make sure I write good words on there. It's going to be backed up. It's going to have maybe images and it's got to be consistent with the brand of the company or the consult client or whatever, they are like, no, they're not going to read it. People are like, it weighs more. It's bigger. <laughs> what goes into somebody's head? What is the direct impact of what you have done? If you've gotten your team to slow down and spend 40 minutes reading your deck, that is 40 minutes they could have taken planning together as a team <laughs> instead of like, wow, we know that you can read a PowerPoint and hit it home. That doesn't help. Think about the action. What do you want them to do as a result of showcasing the output of your research. If you don't know, think about that and go back and be like, what are we actually trying to get done? One thing people don't seem to realize is that research is kind of uh, unpredictable, but you can go back with your team and you can amend things. If you have found a question that you set out to study, the way you set out to study it, you're completely missing it. Why would you finish the entire rest of like, the figurative race only to say this was the wrong way to go? Right, You can go back and change, and now I can change how you report. So what are your people trying to do? You can, people fail to realize that if you don't ask questions consistently with your team, their intention changes, and then you report, they're like, we don't need that, or we needed that two weeks ago. And they don't say anything, because you both keep teams, both sides, keep their mouths shut. And you're like, how come no one talked to them? And then people are like, you're bad at research. You have no impact. And it's like, I'll try to communicate that. I don't know if that worked. This, I will say, this is the one podcast where I've gotten uh, like in the moment feedback. Because every other podcast, they're just like, I'll cut this, I'll keep this. So I appreciate that you're here saying, let's try that again. As as a fellow person that creates things, I appreciate how you've structured this, is what
1: I'll say. So, Warren, what's your take on being a great collaborator? As a researcher, the major duty or the major superpower the researcher got is a collaboration between the users and the designers and stakeholders. What is your take on being? the best collaborator that you can be?
0: First thing is uh, listen. I think that's the first thing. But also when I say listen, it doesn't just mean talking to just sit there. You have to make yourself accessible to people so you can listen. You create opportunities or moments where you intersect with somebody else and you're like, wow, I want to just listen. Tell me about your week this week. And it's such an open question and they can take it wherever you want. I think with listening, you have to have confidence in yourself as a researcher to be able to follow that through. So you're not just wasting time for 30 minutes, so like, great, I listen. but like, it's driving something to a goal. I think also for collaboration, I think people get nervous when they don't have a research degree, in a sense, PhD, I've done this at Google, or I did everything this for 30 years. I think research can be scary. So another way of being collaborative is inviting people in. Hey, I'm working on the guide later this afternoon. I spent up 30 minutes on our calendars. Can you just like walk with me? And the first time you do that, people are like, I can come. I can see how this comes together. I can ask questions. I can influence. Yeah, come with me. It's just a research plan. We're going to write down some questions maybe. We're going to think about what we want to focus on. Let's do it. If you are going to go that route, just keep it short. Right? Don't make it three hours. But like, Hey, can I get 20 minutes on your calendar in the afternoon? Then you can start with that. And another thing with being collaborative is, I don't know if this gets talked about, is Recognize the team members that have come with you. I love talking about that at the start of the research, like we did this, we went these three things, here's our major recommendation. I wanna say thank you to John and Melissa or whoever and say they helped in this way. And it can showcase that not only I was rewarded and recognized for my time, I went out, I don't do research, I do sales. And I went out and was nervous and I tried something. And it also tells other people, hey, whoa, well, I didn't know that a salesperson could be involved, maybe, Maybe I could ask and I can be involved. So it creates that community or that culture. Research culture, I think about a lot, especially at smaller companies. Big companies, they've got teams that literally just look at how does X work at Microsoft? When I was at Facebook, I was like, people are literally sitting here being like, how does operations work? How do we have research engineers? How do we make sure we have a travel budget and vendors, yada, yada, yada. Small company, two researchers, maybe one designer doing research. You're the expert. Go now, cheaper, faster, better, more. And you're like, I don't know what is happening here. And that feels like a battle, right? Just like getting punched over and over. But if you make them come with you, your team, the people using research, and creates that culture they're are like, wow, research is a thing that we do. It is not a thing that we say we do. It's not something we write on the wall and say, ah, one day, if if the budget, if it matches what we're already, we wanna do research when we already know what we're gonna do. We just wanna validate instead of being open to possibilities. That's a bad way. But with culture, like tactical research, everyday things, that's where you can bring your team in and really showcase that research is collaborative. I don't know what the best questions to ask. I guess I'm not gonna be using the data. And I'm, I have a very unique set of skills, but I'm not smarter than eight other people together in a room? How could I be? So inviting them in is a really powerful way. And what my last kind of area here is contextualize to where you are. I think it's very easy to jump like this on a podcast, on a Medium article, on YouTube, whatever, and say, do these three things. And it's like, great, that works there. The way our community here is built, we're all distributed. How do you build research culture there? That's a different, I don't know here, I don't talk about that. People don't talk about that often. Or different people that are younger and older, people that have been in the company 30 years. And I'm meeting with younger, fresher people. How do you build community there? How do you get them excited? They are driven by different things. So are you? And it's like, take advice and contextualize it. Evolve. Each part of research culture I think about is a step forward. This one time on this one survey, this one question, we had everybody come together. And that is the first marker, right? The first time you write a date down. Um, at Facebook, someone was talking about uh, an impact diary where you write down all the meaningful moments. And what they say about meaningful is it does not have to be big, right? Not every single study will change the company. We did it. We make software, e- we make e commerce software. But thanks to this research, we're now going to build a rocket ship tomorrow. No, it's not going to happen. But the time that everyone came together, they felt they were included, they felt that had contributed, they were valued as a team member to come together for research, write that down, even if it's one question. So it's a bigger issue of collaboration, but you go from collaboration one-on-one to eventually building a culture where everyone feels like they're a part, and nothing about research is happening in the
1: shadows. Thank you, one. So let's conclude the show by your take on usability testing and how beginners can start their early steps into usability testing as a UX researcher.
0: Number one is define goals. I think usable is can be a general term. The most normal group, I think, they break it down to the five: right, learnability, efficiency, efficacy, memory, satisfaction. I think it's a great place to start. But also, what does learnability mean here? Over what period of time? Efficiency or efficacy, what does that mean? How many errors is severe versus critical? That kind of stuff. So if you're going to do it, have conversations. And don't be afraid to influence or uh, to lead research. If you are new with usability testing, pick something small. You don't need to build out the entire app and then recreate it in a prototype and then mess around with that. Start with something small, two screens maybe is a good place to start. If your team has never done it, start with two screens. Can we even figure out what the heck is happening between this important transition? And then from there, think about what you're trying to get out of it. And don't be afraid to lead the team on what they should be focusing on. They might want to focus on a 1,001 questions. That's going kind to of fatigue your participant. You're going to get a lot of data. And then people are like, wow, we went too far for two screens. Research takes too long. So you set yourself up for that failure as well. So like, hey, going into this, I think we should focus on these three things. A really great place to start is how long it takes. Measure from the time that you have to define that number of errors right assuming there is some sort of true path if it's concept testing just be open. and the third one is preference Does that make sense that make them feel like they're a part of the process it was expected that kind of stuff this is a great place to start with usability testing you can get out there to start small and then you can build on top of it and recognize that it scales you can be much more qualitative not uh frequency error completion but just how did that feel or the expectations and then quantitative like benchmark Marking X time, X number of clicks. Uh, maybe they were even looking in this direction. So it can scale. Start with one and work together. To build the other as well.
1: Thank you, Warren, for sharing all these wonderful insights. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like or any interesting stories?
0: Typical day? I mean, I feel like with the pandemic, I feel like I'm trying to have some sort of morning interaction with another human being because I'm just inside all the time. So like a 30-minute something with the team or with a stakeholder, even if it's casual we're just having coffee, I like to do that. But every day is different right? I feel like you would say, I feel like anybody who gets asked this question, the first thing they say is like, well, every day is different. You're supposed to abstract generalities, but yeah, a lot of it, it's meetings, running research, I'm um, working with a whole bunch of new teams right now, and I think that's very exciting. It's a little stressful because they all want the survey because they know that as a method, but like, I want one too, and it's like, well, let's talk about what we're trying to do here, and that's great. So it's thought of introductions, kind of just Small things like that, just figuring out what's important to them. And then, yeah, in terms of important, interesting stories, it was fantastic. This Every week, our Apple Banana team meets on Monday and Thursday. For one short meeting Monday and one long meeting Thursday, where it's head snap where we're just... The whole point is to sit together and to do stuff together, not just open computers, everyone's on our own task. And we spent this past week just thinking about what do we want to communicate in terms of a physical packaging? What does that feel like? Apple Bananas, all digital. We're going to make a physical book. What does that look like? What does that feel like, the packaging? We don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on, like, custom ink and all that, but how do we make it a fun, human, accessible experience? So that's been exciting. And it's like, I look forward to the Thursday meetings because, to me, I'm going to look back at this process of building this book kind of in public, having people come in and help us test things and edit things. I'm going to look back and be like, man, remember that time we're just sitting around just saying, oh, what if if this was the direction that we took things? So it's been really cool to kind of see that. So it's like a future story yet to
1: happen, Kind of deal. Thank you. Warren. So we'll conclude the show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space.
0: Right. I'll go with three books. Uh, one of the first ones is Janship Chase's uh, The Field Study Handbook. I think it's fantastic. It is a thicker read but what he has done. And I think it's uh, over 550 pages or so. So it's, it's very comprehensive, honestly. But he's done a fantastic job of boiling. He's done a fantastic job of boiling down field research. He makes it accessible, but you have to invest into it. But it's a really solid book. I also like. You also had this as a guest, Steve Wirtle. I like interviewing users. I think it is an approachable read that you could spend a weekend. If you really tried to, you could really get through it. But you'd walk away from that weekend really powerfully changed because the way he writes about it, anyone can become a great interviewer, and he breaks it down systematically. And then the third one I like. Uh, I would say is David Harris's Guides to Writing a Questionnaire. Uh, it's a very com- comprehensive book as well. It is also short, but it's a great reference to the on my desk. In terms of three people, I really like Nikia, who was the head of research at Twitter, and she's been getting the team to build in public, along with Denny Davis, I really believe, their chief design officer. They've been getting Twitter to build stuff and move quicker, and it's been amazing just to see that happen. I also like Greg Bernstein. Greg Bernstein, I think, is a fantastic writer, and he came out with his book earlier this year, and I was able to kind of talk to Greg, fortunately, even for like 30 minutes, but even before he launched it, we talked about it, the writing process, and he writes fantastically. He brought a lot of people together for that book. And then I'd also uh, recommend, I like Kat Holmes. She wrote the book called Mismatch. It talks about inclusive design, about getting people out of the way that they think, how inclusive, inclusion, inclusion, inclusion are different choices that you're making. And it is, a sh- it is incredible how the deep depth of ideas she's been able to put in a book that you could read in an afternoon. It was very powerful. So those are the three I'd recommend. So it's like another set of books uh, on top of
1: that. Thank you, Warden, for sharing all these wonderful insights. We're looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thanks for your time.
0: Thank you.